0: This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Let's talk about the book of Hebrews. So, if you would please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, and I want to read verse 11. This is Hebrews 7 and verse 11. It says, If perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek, And not be designated according to the order of Aaron. This is a theme that's developed throughout that chapter 7 and 8. And I'm going to read one verse from chapter 8 and verse 6. It says, But now Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. That's an example of. Uh, what the really the theme of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, in fact, is sometimes called the book of better things because the word for better or superior occurs about 15 times in 13 chapters throughout this text. And so practically every chapter is written to establish the fact that Jesus Christ and his gospel are superior to the law of Moses. And this is one way to think about it. If we were to to break down the kind of the makeup of the book of Hebrews, chapter 1 would be about Christ's superior revelation as opposed to angels and then Christ himself being superior to those angels in the latter half of chapter 1 and on into chapter 2. And then in chapter 3 the writer begins to focus in particular on Moses and how Christ is superior to Moses in chapters 3 and 4. And then Christ's superior priesthood would fill that section more or less where we read just a moment ago, beginning though in chapter 4 and going through the end of chapter 7 and a little bit into chapter 8, wherein the writer talks about Jesus' superior sacrifice, beginning in chapter uh, 8 or so into chapter 10. And then the last three chapters, the writer focuses on application and what this means for what it should mean for Christians everywhere. Uh, with regard to persevering in the faith and and being steadfast under persecution and being faithful. and uh, he addresses leadership specifically in Hebrews thirteen and verse seven, and being submissive to leaders and so on and so forth. So another applications that he makes there at the end of the book. But by and large, the the main thrust of this letter is to establish and to remind Christians that Jesus is superior to every um, to Moses and the law of Moses in every way and that he is the one that we need to look to and focus on. right? Hebrews contains that, that well-known text in, in chapter 12 about fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. And so that is really the main theme of Hebrews. Now, as far as who wrote it, um, from a human standpoint, not much is known of the writer of the book, except that what we can know from the text. He seems to have known Timothy. He mentions Timothy by name in Hebrews thirteen twenty three, And he also personally knew these people that he was speaking to, as we can see in Hebrews chapter 5 and, and verse 12. And he hoped to be restored to them eventually, um, as he expresses in Hebrews 13 and 19. So he, and, and also we can see that this is an individual who was well-versed in the Old Testament. He knew it very well. He refers to it about 34 times, and he quotes it directly 35 times. So a lot of Old Testament connections in the book of Hebrews, and I think that's probably another good lesson that comes from the book of Hebrews is is to impress upon us how important it is to know the Old Testament. Uh, sometimes we get uh, confused or or a lot of folks don't really know the place of the old testament in the bible why is it why is it there and that's something that even the jews themselves wrestled with if you look at romans uh, chapter 3 it was a problem that paul anticipated but what the new testament tells us in places like galatians 3 is that it was a school teacher to lead us to christ and that it is just as much the word of god as the new testament and it served a purpose and still serves a purpose for us in that it provides evidence, not only for God and His character, but also His vision and His wisdom. And we can see over the course of millennia how His plan was unfolding to bring His Son in the world and establish this new, better covenant through Jesus Christ. Uh, But whoever wrote the book of Hebrews knew and understood that very well, and he quotes the Old Testament repeatedly uh, in every in every chapter, you're not going to get very far in Hebrews before you see an Old Testament quote. So, I think it impresses upon us our need then to know and understand uh, the Old Testament. He quoted all five books of he quotes all five books of the Law: he Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He quotes from Proverbs. He quotes from Second Samuel. He quotes from Isaiah. He quotes from Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zechariah, and eleven different texts from the Psalms. So, eleven different Psalms. Um, he just and he had a thorough knowledge. If you go to chapter ten, chapters nine and ten, where he goes into explaining, he's making some points about uh, the ministry of Christ and his priesthood, and and how Jesus' uh, sacrifice is superior and his priesthood is superior compared to the tabernacle system. And he had a thorough knowledge of the tabernacle um, and and the animal sacrifices and worship. He knew meticulous details about the trappings. And the the ceremonies that were performed by the priests. So, you know, those are really that's really all we can do, deduce about this author. And I could go on. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that because there's just been, you know, book, entire books written on what human wrote Hebrews. But ultimately, it's it's academic because uh, the Holy Spirit is the is the ultimate author. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and adequate for every good work. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. So we may only have a few details about the human writer, and there are some things we can deduce from the text, but again, the author is the Holy Spirit, and that's all that should matter to us. And this text has been preserved by God for our learning. Now, who is he writing to? Well, the writer is addressing Jewish Christians. That's why it's called the book of Hebrews. He's writing to... Uh, Christians, but who these Christians also had a a, a Jewish background. Um, they were they were Hebrews, and so they were struggling with their faith, and they're on the verge of falling away and returning to Judaism. And thus, we get the main theme: right, don't abandon the superior way of Christ for the old inferior way that could not ultimately bring about your salvation. And so, these individuals had been suffering persecution. There was verbal and physical abuse in Hebrews 10, 32, and 34. They were having their property taken away and and they had apparently endured a lot of this for a long time and they're commended for that in Hebrews chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 12. But they were in need of much encouragement because this persecution was taking its toll. And it's not the whole story behind, persecution is not the whole story behind their difficulties, but it is um, uh, some of the, pressure that was being applied but much of their weakness and their uh, temptation to go back to the old law was self-inflicted and the the writer doesn't hedge from addressing this in, in chapter 5 he says things like you've grown dull of hearing and they had regressed to the point where they needed milk and not solid food and then he encourages them, them in chapter 6 to move on from the elementary teachings of the faith and so Hebrews he the hebrew writer presents and constantly reminds us and his original audience of the superiority of Christ and the need to grow and mature in Christ and so again we have that exhortation hebrews 1 excuse me hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 that exhortation to look to jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith or the completer of our faith and then he pleads with them at the end of the book to to bear this word of exhortation so he's He's writing to exhort them, to encourage them, to stay the course. and so we too can find much needed encouragement in these last days and reminders of the consequences of falling away or apostasy is the, the big fancy word for that. But we need these reminders just as much as they did. That's why God preserved this book for us. As previously noted, one of the you know one of the first points the writer, the writer will make is that God's final revelation. Is through Jesus Christ, and the superiority of Christ as a messenger compared to those who delivered the Old Law, and specifically angels, and so it might seem like strange subject matter to us to begin with, to begin this book with. But if we, you know, if we want wind back the clock, and we try to put ourselves in the shoes of these Jews who were early converts um, with a special history like no other people on earth, right? And they have this special revelation from God and they were his special people as as God told them they would be and a nation of priests and so on and so forth. We're going to we're we're going to better understand the the course of the writer's thought, why he why he goes into the discussion the way that he does, I believe. Because the Hebrews history was one in which God was intimately involved. Right. He, he's involved in all of history and certainly he had messages revealed to the Gentiles and he held Gentiles accountable uh, like he did in Nineveh when he sent Jonah. Uh, but by and large, those are kind of those kinds of accounts are just really offshoots of the main narrative involving his people and his plan and purpose to bring his son into the world. To deliver all mankind through this specific people, the, the Hebrews. So, you know, he had he had chosen them for this purpose, and so that's what the Old Testament is, to a large degree, is a history of of God's dealing with dealings with those people and and how He brought this plan about. Um, he revealed things to them that He did not reveal to any other people, and He protected them in ways that He did not any other nation, and that's uh, and that's how it had been for thousands of years, right? Until His Son came onto the scene, and so. It would be a jolt, it would be a jolt as it was for for many Hebrews to finally understand that all along, this special protection and this special unique position with God, it was just a kind of a, it was a temporary plan, and it was, that relationship was something that God intended ultimately for all people to have with Him, and that He ultimately desired all people through one man, His Son Jesus Christ, to be reconciled to Him, have special fellowship with Him, even fellowship that could not previously be enjoyed in positions that could not previously be enjoyed uh, by the Jews themselves, and so that would have come as a real uh, shock. And again, Romans chapter three, Paul addresses this. Um, some of the questions that would have arisen, like what, you know, why why give us the law even to begin with, if God was just going to do away with it ultimately and bring in this new new covenant? But uh, but Paul proves by the scriptures that. This is what God intended all along, and it was a it was a preparatory measure. Uh, and if the Hebrews, if anyone who pays attention to the Old Testament, as you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So you know, it sounds very judgy of me to say to the Hebrews, "Well, if you had been paying attention, you would have seen it." But this is the very argument that Jesus Himself makes. So I guess I shouldn't t- feel too bad about it. Um, if you obeyed moses he says you would if you believe moses you would believe me because he spoke of me is what jesus says in in john chapter 5 i believe so it was it was the hebrews for you know again millennia who would have known the story of man's origins and his downfall and why why the world was full of sin and so they perhaps more than anyone understood how much the creator of the universe hated sin and what links god would go to to punish it Because they, as a people, they were sent into captivity for many years before they were allowed to return to their land because of their unfaithfulness. They, more than any other people, would have understood how lost man is without God. And they understood major events like the giving of the law of Moses, uh, the defeat of major military powers and armies, the plague of the firstborn, and so on and so forth, the deliverance of Lot, and how promises to Abraham often involve um, the agency of angels. And so not not all of the time, of course, we can see, but, but a lot of the time that was the case. About 108 times in the Old Testament, angels are mentioned, and 165 times... In the New Testament, so that's significant, and so that would have, um, I think, that casts some light on why it is the the writer begins in in this way about the superior revelation of Jesus Christ as opposed to that of angels. Uh, you know, we find them involved in worship and praise, angels that is, and that's the main activity that's portrayed in heaven in Isaiah six verses one through three, and then again in Revelation chapters four and five. Uh, We find angels involved in revealing God's word. They serve as messengers to communicate God's will to men. Remember, it was Gabriel who was sent to Mary. It was, um, you know, they helped reveal the law of Moses. Stephen says in Acts 7, verses 52 and 53, they served as the carriers of much of the material in Daniel and uh, also Revelation. Um, Remember, when John sees the vision of the angel, he wants to bow down and worship it. But he says, get up. I'm just a servant. Of God, like like you are, and so we find them involved in in guidance and giving instructions to uh, to Joseph. So remember, angels didn't just appear to Mary; they appeared to Joseph and told him when to get up and go and where to go. Uh, angels appeared to the women at the, at the tomb and said, "Why do you seek the living among the dead?" An angel appeared to Philip in Acts eight twenty six and to Cornelius, and Acts ten verses one through eight. So we we find them all over the place, really. Uh, and you know we can really spin off into a a study that I don't know how profitable it would be. If we just talk exclusively about angels and, and their role because they're talked about so much. Uh, but really, I think the main point is is to see them as just agents of provision and and special messengers and guidance to serve God's ultimate purpose. And uh, you know, get, given that big picture, I don't think we'll we'll be so balled up in wanting to know every little detail about them and, and their work and names and hierarchies if those things kind of exist. Um there's they seem to be as indicated by the New Testament. But anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent now. But the main point is uh is that they are servants of God and they um th- they had many deeds to perform but it's all in the interest of performing and doing God's God's will. Uh so when we consider the panorama Evangelic angelic activity rather than isolated specific circumstances. Again, we find the purpose of their every act in Scripture. And this is what verse 14 in Hebrews chapter 1 begins to address. And we'll talk more about this uh, next time. The Hebrew writer says in verse 14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Right, so did you, did you catch that? They're all ministering spirits. They're all servants, and they've been sent out. For this purpose, to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Well, that's you and that's me. That's everybody, that's because everybody, salvation has been extended to everybody. They acted at God's command to further the scheme of redemption. Angels first appeared to Abraham, in whom the world, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. They guided and protected his family for succeeding generations. An angel went before Israel and guarded them. Later, angels ministered to prophets, and the New Testament opens with angels announcing the coming of Christ. And they ministered to Jesus and declared His resurrection, and they aided the spread of the gospel. So in all of this, what what are they doing? We have, we have all these specific inst- instances, and they pique our curiosity, and we wonder, what in the world is going on? And it sure would be cool to know more about this, but the main point is, in all this, they were rendering service by helping bring our hope of salvation and that's what the Hebrew writer wants us to understand and to know. He's, he's, and he's driving at this very early on in chapter 1. And so Hebrews 1.14, in a context of speaking or teaching from God, shows that Christ is superior to angels as a superior messenger. Because the angels represent messengers of a past dispensation, sent forth to minister uh, to the heirs of salvation through Christ. And they did this by administering the Old Covenant. Um, The Hebrew writer says in chapter 2 and verse 2, the words spoken by angels proved unalterable. And so we'll discuss uh, this text more next week as our Hebrew series kicks off and continues. But I just wanted to give you a brief overview and kind of direction of of where we're going. And so just paint a big picture this morning of uh, what the Hebrew book is, is all about. And we'll look at what the writer says about Jesus by comparison to angels mentioned in Scripture. So I look forward to this, to studying with you. Um, and we'll pick up here in a few days or maybe next week. I appreciate you tuning in. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.